Okay, granted, this won't apply to most of our listeners, but here's the scenario. One day it dawns on you that pretty much everyone around you knows way more about Shakespeare than you do. Hey, just go with me on this, okay? It might happen. Suddenly, it seems important that you catch up quickly by learning as much as you can about Shakespeare's 17 most popular plays. You don't have much time. Where do you turn? From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. Believe it or not, there is an answer. It comes in the form of a TV documentary series called Shakespeare Uncovered, which airs in the United States on PBS. For the past three years, the TV production team of Richard Denton and Nicola Stockley have been turning out a crash course in Shakespeare's best-known plays, presented in hour-long documentary form and guided by film and theater stars like Morgan Freeman, Kim Cattrall, Ethan Hawke, and Helen Hunt. Nicola Stockley and Richard Denton came into the studio recently as the series was gearing up to begin its third season. We call this podcast Makes the Hour Full Complete. Richard and Nicola were interviewed by Barbara Bogave. To help everyone picture what the program's like, because I'm sure some haven't seen it yet, how did you describe Shakespeare Uncovered the first time around when you came to networks to pitch the show? Um, I think we said it's the stories of and the stories behind the plays that Shakespeare wrote. A dark, devious, dangerous character, Shakespeare's Richard III. Much Ado is a play about love and marriage. You come hither, my lord, to marry this lady. It may be a comedy, but it comes dangerously close to tragedy. If you had the chance to take revenge, would you? This is the choice facing one of Shakespeare's most vilified characters, Shylock. And the idea would be that you'd have the passion um, and the experience of the actor who had played one of the lead parts in the play or who wanted to, contributing what they know and, and finding out things that they didn't. When Shakespeare wrote Julius Caesar for his London audience, he presented them with one of his most extraordinary characters. Not Caesar, but Brutus. My relationship with the character goes back a long way, and he still intrigues me. So what you'd have would be them meeting with various people, maybe other actors who play the part, maybe other directors. And we had the Globe actors who would act scenes for us, so you'd have that as an element, that would be a core element. And you'd also, a trope that we perpetuated, was that the films themselves would have been made about the various plays. You'd have the actor in the viewing theatre seeing them along with the audience, so that would be a, a sense of bringing it to life in that way. I think the other element, which was actually Nicky's invention, was that these films would always follow the story of the play. So basically you have somebody going on a journey or an adventure, or whatever you want to call it, in which you follow the story of the play and en route you stop and investigate things that suddenly occur to you or you discover en route. Yes, that, that is one of the delights of this show, this theme of taking a journey and this sense of action and excitement. You give it a sense of time travel. And it was interesting you mentioned Venice as I watched uh, F. Murray Abraham walk around a Venetian farmer's market. In Venice, the Christian Antonio could roam freely, 
while the reviled Jewish Shylock would have had to live behind walls. I found myself, as a viewer, trying to picture what would it have been like in the 16th century. It was here that the very first ghetto was created. Well, besides Venice, where does the series take your hosts, and what were you going for, having them travel so much to these sites, besides that sense of time travel? Initially, let me just say that each film has a completely different idea behind it. Uh, so in some films, you, you don't really go anywhere very much, but in other films, you'll, you'll go on a, a long journey to somewhere. So, for instance, The Winter's Tale, we stayed in London, and that was with Simon Russell Beale. That made sense. When it came to Julius Caesar, we thought, well, what would make that pertinent now? We thought, what should about Washington? It's a Roman play. It has a huge resonance for America as when it was setting itself up, wrestled with these questions at the same time as the play was touring to huge audiences in America. Brian Cox lives in America, so that kind of tied up. And the funny funny thing is just Washington looks like a Roman city. You were mentioning, though, that that you do follow the plots and you're very careful to do that. It, It makes me wonder who your intended audience is. I mean, you're speaking now, you went to Washington, so are you always thinking of meeting both an English and American audience? Or is is your audience, a, a, for instance, a, an English person who's seen multiple productions of, of a play like Julius Caesar? Or is it an American who goes to Shakespeare in the summer because kids like to sit outside? You know, who, who are you thinking of? Because the play, the, the show is plot heavy. Well, do you know what it is? It's for all those people. It, it seemed that unless you understand the story of the play and it's the arc of of the play is the same as the arc of the documentary it doesn't in a way have that sense of development and it leaves you rather unsure as to why you should care about the history of the time if you're not quite sure how that relates to the plot Mm. so the sense of going outside the play had to link to well why are we doing that now so the two seem to fit in well do you need to know the play? No, if you do, we hope it's not going to talk down to you because we'll bring other things that you hopefully wouldn't have known. But the point is that what we wanted was for anybody, whatever their background, to find a passion in Shakespeare, to be interested, to be surprised. I am beginning my journey in the town of Shakespeare's birth, Stratford-upon-Avon. And the first thing I find out is a bit of a surprise, at least for me. Someone pointed out to me that the Beatrice Benedict story is not really the main plot of the play, which I didn't realize until someone said it. Not at all. I mean, nobody's ever really become a star by playing either Claudio or Hero, but that's the story that Shakespeare knew. And then Beatrice and Benedict come from where? They come from Shakespeare. They're the two star parts that Shakespeare does add. They're the sort of magic ingredient that's stitched into this story Mm -hmm. uh, to um, completely change the tone of the thing. Besides the plot, um, you also have a through line of of the host. So, and Mm -hmm. you do let the host take the lead. Was that harder with some hosts than than others? For instance, I'm thinking... um, In the Julius Caesar show, Brian Cox opens it by saying, my relationship with Brutus goes back a long way. Uh, But when you watch the episode with Helen Hunt, she's only played Beatrice, I don't know, twice, maybe? So some Mm -hmm. hosts give you a lot more to work with, it seems, than others. I would would say, in a way, what we do is we start by talking to them, finding out what it is 
that's interesting to them about the play. And that might be their, their personal experience. It may be they've acted in it. It may be another side to it that really fascinates them. In other words, it needn't be the lead part. For instance, when I think about, wasn't in this series, but Macbeth, we had Ethan Hawke playing it. He hadn't played the character. So for him, he's coming at it thinking, how would you prepare for it? And what are the, what's exciting in the play if you're coming at it to learn? So quite how they are involved. It's rather nice if they have different relationships because they're not trying to set it into a formatted way. I think also with a play like Much Ado, I mean, Helen just loved the play. But because it's a romantic comedy and because actually it really set the template for romantic comedy, we thought, well, and she thought, it would be lovely to talk to people who had actually played the roles. So more than virtually any other film in the series, we have two or three or four Beatrices and four Benedicts, all of whom contribute, and indeed Heroes and Claudios, all of whom contribute. I think there's something like 13 or 14 interviews with actors which is against every rule of documentary filmmaking, (laughs) but it works because this really is a play that actors can enjoy, and that's what we wanted to try and get across. Um, This is a play that's fun, and so we wanted to have fun with it, so that's a fun film. Not that any of them are not fun, of course, I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've talked about the people uh, who do know uh, some of the plots and and who are very engaged with Shakespeare. But I imagine with every single host and with every single episode, you're also keeping in the back of your mind, what about the people who just are not engaged with Shakespeare and are coming to Mm. this show cold? How do we bring them in? Well, first of all, I think the hosts do that. I mean, there's no question that having people like F. Murray Abraham or Anthony Sher presenting your film means that people will watch it where they might not otherwise. In a previous series, we had Morgan Freeman doing Taming of the Shrew. I challenge anybody not to turn it on <laughs> simply because it's Morgan Freeman. You'd turn it on, wouldn't you? And then from the other point of view, neither Nikki nor I are Shakespeare scholars. We are documentary filmmakers. And I hope we bring that kind of sensibility of, well, what's exciting? What's going to be entertaining? What's going to be interesting? What's going to move people? How can we make them cry? Uh, All of those things will come to us during the making of the programme. Richard has announced his decision to kill for the crown. His is a warped, cruel mind. But to him, it's simply payback time. He'll avenge himself on a world that has told him he cannot belong. We all get that there's something wrong with Richard. Richard gets that there's something wrong with Richard psychologically. Everyone, starting with his mother, um, and but also his people in the street, his boyhood chums, everyone is reacting against his body. It's the reaction that matters, not the body that matters. Richard has had to grow up with that from the beginning. We set out by thinking, what if I didn't know this play, I didn't know anything about it, and I had to be persuaded mm. to see it? What would make me feel, oh, okay, that's, uh, that's, say that again, I'm interested in that. You can do many things. I mean, you can look at the historical background, you can look at what's happening in Shakespeare's life. There are many ways that you can stop on your journey, the, the, the point where you stop and divert and do a little bit of background. So it's mm. thinking... What might engage people, even if the play itself isn't a play that's very well known? The theme of political assassination is so powerful that even staging this play can be a highly contentious act. 
This is your third season. I wondered, did you just luck out with the timing for Julius Caesar? In New York, in the summer of 2017, a production of Julius Caesar, with a Caesar dressed like President Trump, caused an outrage. I'm going to say what the truth, which is, yes, we did. It, it turned out to be timely, but the funny thing is that whenever you do this play... It'll be timely. It will be timely. Mm. It will make you think, actually, how much power should they have? Um, how, how should you organise the system of government? What do you do if that person really needs to be removed? I mean, what happens if you actually kill them? What will? And also, who do we believe? You know, that you're absolutely right that it, it appeared to play to the times and it was seen to with a production, of course, in, in New York. But no, that wasn't why we did it. What's startling when you start to unpack Julius Caesar and indeed I would say all of them is how you think, he, how did he know, how did Shakespeare know that he should be writing this for now, you know? Getting back to the idea of your host, because you have so many objectives with each of these episodes, do you ever come up with a through line, an idea, and present it to a host, uh, a potential host, and, and they just say, no no way, I, I'm just not into that at all? Yes, that happened not on this season, but it happened in the previous season with uh, Joseph Fiennes. Uh, we wanted him to do Romeo and Juliet because he'd played Shakespeare in Shakespeare in Love. And we presented him with a treatment that meant him going to Verona and uh, looking at the whole history of... And he went, no, 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 I don't want to do a kind of heritage version of this. I want to, I want to go to a school in South London and work with kids. I want to find people who've been in prison and understand this. I want to, I want to see it from a modern point of view. And this was two weeks before we were supposed to start. <laughs> Oh, producer's nightmare. <laughs> we worked, Nicola and I worked very hard that two weeks, and it made a wonderful film. I think he was completely wonderful in it, and I'm really, really glad he made us do that. Well, that sense of discovery is so delightful in, in the programs. It really comes across. But it's a tricky thing you're doing as well with, the, with this through line of the plot and also textual analysis where you talk to scholars and, and you talk to the mm-hmm. actors and you talk to directors. So you have plot, but then you have people's p- opinions mixed in. And it seems like you can you take different routes. You know, here at one point you're talking about here's what the play is about or here are the themes or here's what Shakespeare was thinking or doing at the time with the history. How, how do you mm-hmm. mix and match these these elements. Carefully. Um, (laughs) I mean, it isn't easy. Of course it isn't easy. But on the other hand, this is a first world problem. It's enormous fun to do. There is always more that you could do. So um, you've got an enormous amount of material. And what you have to do in the first stages is start to think about what is what's really going to work for the audience, what's going to really do the job we want it to do. And that goes back to the very first thing we were talking about of pulling people in who've never ever seen it, whilst at the same time entertaining people who know it quite well. Well, Nicola, though, do you have some principles? Like, do you spend more time with history professors in the history plays than with the actors? Or do you always try to, to balance them and go for variety and kind of equal screen time? That's a, that's such a good question. Actually, I really don't. I wouldn't say in the, in the history play you have to put more thoughts from historians, funnily enough. I mean, say in the Richard III, the historian that we had, actually a theatre historian, Michael Dobson, and his role was to give the the stories, the emergence of the character Richard III. Now, obviously, Richard III was a real person, but in Shakespeare's writing, he'd written Henry VI, one, two, and three, and 
that set up Richard and the character of Richard emerges in that place. So in a sense, you're doing the two. You're giving people a sense of, yes, OK, historically, we have this pattern. But really, Shakespeare wasn't trying to write an accurate history. He was setting the stage in that play for this extraordinary character, a tyrant, who stands for all times. So the job, really, the thought was, it doesn't matter too much about people getting the absolute truth about current scholarship on Richard III, but about what was Shakespeare doing with this character? Where does he come in Shakespeare's development and, and the character development? So that was the emphasis on, on that one. I think, to be honest, also, we are juggling many, many things, as you say, and you often work out in the edit something comes out particularly strongly. Somebody says something in a surprising way. It may be that, that our host meets somebody and there's a real spark between them. So you'll spend more time on that. Try and get the story, the part of the story you want, tell it through that way. So there's a kind of flexibility. We're not set in stone, even when we're filming it. You know, you film various people, um, explore, say, a particular idea and see in the end what tends to gel, what tends to be uh, more powerful when you, when you have all of them together. Central to this lightning of mood will be the music and mischief of a tinker, Autolycus. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong, does it, though? It does. Oh. It always matters if you get it wrong. Okay. I'm with Simon Slater, the composer for The Globe's 2016 production. So you're going to sing this? <laughs> no, well, you're going to sing Autolycus, uh, I think. Well, I can do Autolycus, but there's, there's two ladies, R. Bagsby Mopsa. That's me. Is that it? was Sorry. you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the original music has been lost, so every composer has to reinvent it using Shakespeare's text. You ready? Right. Here he goes. Get you hands, for I must go where it fits you not to know. Whither, oh whither, whither, oh whither, whither, whither. It becomes thy oathful well, thou to me thy secrets tell, me to let me. Go to the slow. It is slow. Yeah, I think we do that better, can't we? I, Should could, we do it again? You stole my part some of the time. Oh, did not, I? Yeah, no, it's right. right. Simon, give me But we down. actually, and it wasn't really until you asked the question that I realised it, we actually embark on every single film entirely separately from everything else. We sit down and start, Nicky sits down and says, well, how am I going to make a film about Richard III? And it'll be, it could be completely different in terms of the kinds of people she'll talk to. But basically, we embrace each film as a separate challenge. Each film is completely different, even though certain tropes, as you, as you point out, stay the same. There is this sticky point, though, that uh, you're always trying to make good television and controversy and excitement mm. make for good television. So what do you do when your various sources disagree with each other or contradict each other? How do you choose one over the other or... or do you always present conflicting viewpoints? It seems to me that you kind of come down on, on one opinion usually. To be honest, there, there tends to be, it sounds rather boring and flattening, but a majority view. You could, and it, it, of course there's going to be, there, there will be controversy and that's what keeps it fresh. We're careful in the way we phrase things for that reason. But I think, to be honest, I think it's our job to give people something that they can... Rely get on. A, and get a handle on, that's right. Mm. I mean, it can be quite dull, can't it, when you, you've, you've got a, a film, documentary film, and it's kind of neither one thing or the other. I think you need mm. to be a bit bold. And I think that, again, you know, the actor, the, 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 the presenter, is going to have a view. It would be very odd for them to kind of shrug their shoulder and not care. And I think that if, therefore, they feel, yes, OK, that rings true to them or that feels 
that sits right with them, then that will help us to, to let's say, be, be bolder about it. I don't mean that you'd ever um, not be accurate about the evidence, but I think that that helps to weigh it. Which makes me um, wonder about what has been a revelation for the two of you. Uh, and I'm thinking specifically, some of the most interesting scenes for me were actors, the actors and the hosts talking about their process of, uh, you know, their technique and how they inhabit a character or prepare. And at this moment, Beatrice is on stage alone for the only time in the whole play. What fire is in mine ears? Can this be true? And she has just ten lines of verse to play with. Stand I condemned for pride and scorn so much? It's a challenge for any actor. Contempt farewell and maiden pride adieu. No glory lives behind the back of such. I was having a tough time in the speech. I tried lots of different things. And then I looked down and caught the eye of a girl who was standing about as far away as you were standing to me. And she had an expression on her face that she was completely with me. I don't know who, you know, whose hand reached out first to whose, but anyway, we held each other's hand. That moment of physical contact, suddenly the speech unlocked and made beautiful and perfect sense. And Benedict, love on, I will requite thee. Taming my wild heart to thy loving hand. If thou dost love, my kindness shall incite thee to bind our loves up into a holy band. So what just took you, took, knocked your socks off? Mm, that's a difficult one because our, our socks are knocked off from, from when we're making documentaries in funny <laughs> ways. I do think if you go to the actors, um, what has really knocked my socks off, when suddenly there's magic happening in front of your face. Now, that's a personal thing. Um, you can't really go into that because that's nothing to do with Shakespeare. That's to do with acting, and acting is a strangely magical process. But picking up from that, and I absolutely share that notion of them suddenly inhabiting the part and when you being in that room and hopefully that's captured on film. But something that, I, that we have in the Richard III film, there's a scene, infamous indeed, as well as famous scene, where Richard III proposes preposterously. As part of his game plan, he sets out to woo the daughter-in-law of the defeated dead king. Trouble is, he killed both the king and her husband and... She's on her way to the king's funeral. And I was asking Tony, why, how, how does he think that works? He said, well, that's something I'd like to speak to with my Lady Anne. I'm with Penny Downey, who played Lady Anne when I played Richard. He loves trying to do something that he can't, that other people couldn't. Yes. And he's going to have a go. But the odds are completely against... He, it's like gambling. He, he likes the high risk. Absolutely. So, I mean, he, of all people in the world, he chooses to... Woo to someone who is you. carrying a corpse <laughs> of a man he's killed. Yes. She was married to a man he's he killed. killed. She is the daughter of a man he's killed, yes. and he decides... And we intercut that with the Globe actors running that scene, and it started 
it started to make sense. It started to have a have a chemistry. And she, she doesn't, doesn't leave. leave. Exactly. Neither so therefore, of them leave. Shakespeare's they've they've got each other. Yes. They're whether it's a rant, whether it's and they just keep trying to manoeuvre. They agree mutually to, to play the scene. Yes. Whereas yeah. either one of them could abort it at any part, uh, time yeah. early on. Yeah. Could just walk away. Yeah. But they play the scene. Yeah. Now, Richard really raises the stakes. Oh, I lend thee this sharp-pointed sword, which, if thou please, I lay it naked to the deadly stroke and humbly beg the death upon the knee. Nay, do not pause, for I did kill King Henry, but twas thy beauty that provoked me. Nay, not dispatch, for I did stab young Edward, but twas thy heavenly face that set me on. That was magical. And agree in the end. You felt the chemistry between the actors and, and how they just mm, were transported mm. back into that relationship and how strong that bond is, even though it, you're right, and it they suddenly does make sense. They almost rediscover it in front of the camera, don't they? They exactly. rediscover the bond between them. Well, we're into season three now. So you've done, oh, just more, you know, score more than 20 of of these plays and 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 also a show that put together all the comedies or some comedies so you know you had shakespeare's greatest hits in season two and season three you have a lot of the greatest hits i imagine now you're getting into the deeper parts of the canon so what happens when you have a series that's made up um of plays that even diehard shakespeare fans might not have seen like pericles well i think that's why this is Possibly the final season. Um, it has left out. It w- if we stopped now, we would leave out Pericles. We'd leave out Timon of Athens and and Cymbeline. Tools and and we still have to persuade ourselves that we should do another series when we do this. It's never a good idea, is it? Yeah. <laughs> if somebody wants to come up with the money, you know, we'll do it. We'll definitely do it. You'll gird your loins and <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll oh, definitely, definitely. You come up with the money, show. we'll we'll be there. Wouldn't need a lot of persuasion. Well, it has been a delight watching this series, and I'm looking forward to season three, and wonderful to talk with both of you today. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, A pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nicola Stockley and Richard Denton are the producers of the TV documentary series Shakespeare Uncovered. The show's third season premieres October 12th and runs through the 26th on PBS stations. Check your local listings for the time and dates near you, the show also streams the following day at pbs.org slash Shakespeare Uncovered and on PBS apps. Richard and Nicola were interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Makes the Hour Full Complete was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern-Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Paul Luke at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California, and Gareth Wood at The Sound Company in London. We hope you're enjoying Shakespeare Unlimited, and if you are, please consider reviewing the podcasts. When you do that, it helps us get the word out to people who haven't heard it yet. We'd really appreciate your help. Thank you. And if you find yourself in Washington, D.C., We hope you'll visit us at the Folger Shakespeare Library on Capitol Hill. See a performance in our Elizabethan theater and come face to face with a first folio, the first printed edition of Shakespeare's plays. We hope to see you here. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. 
Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, The Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about The Folger at our website, folger.edu. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore.